so we're not going to touch on all the scriptures like we did last week. Um, if you have an outline, um, you have several bullet points on the other readings, but mostly we're going to look at Genesis, Jeremiah, and Matthew. So real quick note that you guys already have on your outlines. Um, we are doing two separate following two separate reading structures. One of them, they're all three-year structures. You'll see the first reading and psalm and then the alternate second reading and psalm, and you can read why there's two uh, separate readings. So let's look at some Christocentric themes in Genesis um, to kind of give backstory, since this is um, in the liturgical year in the scripture readings, we would have gone all the way through the major... Um, storyline of Abraham. And so at this point, God's come in Genesis 15, well, first in Genesis 12, and then in 15, and set up a covenant with Abraham where he slaughtered the animals and Abraham falls asleep because he's waiting too long or whatever, he got bored. Um, it's an image of a death. And God comes in a flaming uh, torch and uh, flaming fire and passes between those animal pieces saying that he is going to enact the covenant, he's going to fulfill the covenant, Everything that God is going to do, Abraham's off sleeping. Presumably he is just woken up uh, to see God act, right? And so Abraham starts expanding in influence, growing in the earth, gaining more servants. There's a dispute between Lot. They break up. And we get here to Genesis 22, where the promises to Abraham are that his offspring will be more numerable than the sand of the seashore, than the stars in the heaven, and uh, he's, we talked about last week and saw how uh, Ishmael was sent out into the world. And now Isaac's the only son left. Uh, I think it's in Genesis, it's right after, it's probably 16 or maybe it's later in 15, where Abraham, um, I can't remember, does anybody remember uh, Abraham's servant who is the only heir to the throne at that, the theoretical throne? Starts with an E, Eleazar or something like that. And Abraham's saying, like, will somebody who is not my offspring inherit everything? And so Abraham's trusting in God's promises through Isaac. And now God's asking him to put all of these things on the altar. Every promise of God was wrapped up in Isaac at this point, And he's asking him to go and sacrifice him. Right? It's an ultimate call of, will you trust and be obedient to my word? Will you understand? Like, I'm sure Abraham... Somewhat, and even though um, we've gone here on John 8, 8.56, it says that Abraham did not waver concerning the promise. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he might not have had internal struggles. The text doesn't say anything about that. But what we do see is that Abraham didn't waver. He didn't say, well, God, let's, you know, he didn't barter like he did back in Genesis 18. You know, and sounds like, well, what if there's like 40 righteous people? Will you still destroy it? Or what if there's 30 Right? He's not bartering with God here. All we see in the text is that he doesn't waver. He continues with everything that God has promised, that he's going to lay it on the altar. Um, if you read through Hebrews, interpret this through the lens of the what we call the apostolic hermeneutic in Hebrews, that uh, everything Abraham was doing was by faith. He trusted in God's promises Presumably that he's going to resurrect Isaac or he's going to fulfill his promises somehow, right? So he trusts in God. He trusts and he takes Isaac. And so I want to point out real quick, you can, um, 
judge how pietistic you are. That is, you can judge, and this is just kind of a side note um, on this, you can kind of start to see um, how pietistic and how much pietism has infiltrated your mind. Um, being that, like, if you believe in just, like, the spiritual, God's going to just act supernaturally, and uh, you don't really have to do anything about it, is read the text very carefully. It's not clear if it says that Isaac was, has been discussed or not, if Abraham had told him, I'm going to sacrifice you. That's not clear in the text. Most people, I think, and this has been my thought process, would think that Abraham had to deceive Isaac beat him up, and bind him, right? Kyle, I'm going to take you uh, out later, and I'm going to beat you up behind the shed. You, you want to go? You ready? <laughs> Sounds like fun. Right, so, um, so a lot of the Jewish commentary called, called the Targum, which is like an explanation of the Hebrew scriptures of the Masoretic text, most of them would agree, and most of them do agree in, in ancient Israel in the first centuries and, and prior in the BC centuries, actually say, and you could read this, John Gill has an amazing commentary. You can uh, find his commentary online for free. Uh, and he's from a Jewish lineage and tradition. And John Gill was the pastor of the church that Charles Spurgeon took over after John Gill. So, uh, most of the Targum, Targums point to and agree, even without the text being explicit, would think that, and the Jewish mindset was that Abraham actually explained to Isaac, even though he asked, where's the, where's the sacrifice? We're up here, we got the wood, we got the knife, we got the fire. Where's the, where's the lamb? <laughs> uh, that Abraham actually later explained it to Isaac, and he was willingly bound, trusting in God's promises, just like his father. So, uh, if your depiction is off from that, now, the, again, the text isn't explicit in that. It doesn't say, and then Abraham explained to Isaac that God's going to provide a lamb for himself, and God, you know, surely Abraham has told Isaac by this point, and being a good father that catechizes his children, Isaac knows about what happened in Genesis 15. He knows about what happened. Uh, he's been circumcised. He's been brought in. He's a child of the covenant. He's been taught and raised in these ways. It wouldn't be out of the out of the bounds of any type of orthodoxy. And I think this would be a healthier view: is to see that that Isaac actually knew he was going to get offered, you know, and that he willingly was bound, because we see a picture. This is a very clear picture of Christ. This is a Christocentric, high scripture, high chapter, right, of seeing Isaac as as Christ. Right. This is what got me this week in, in reading over this is just meditating on the details that are in here. He, the wood was laid on his back. Right. The sacrifice, the place of which he was going to be sacrificed, the instrument of 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 sacrifice, the mode that God was using the wood, just like the cross was laid on Isaac's back and he walked up the mountain, right? Just like Christ, after being flogged and beaten and you know having his head hit with a hammer and a crown of thorns, he walked up the mountain with the cross. Um, just take that and meditate on that for a while. That's amazing. 
um, to, you know, and I was just sitting in my study and thinking like, man, I wonder uh, if some of the disciples, like, they didn't quite get it when Jesus was, you know, walking up the mountain. They were all at a distance. It was the women who were more faithful at this point and, and saw Jesus more closely. And they were the first ones there after the resurrection. But I wonder if they had this image of Christ, like walking up the mountain, being beaten and tortured and carrying the cross. And it just makes me think, you know, I, it wouldn't be uh, just using kind of a holy imagination. Like, I wonder how many of the disciples, like after the resurrection and, and Jesus' ascension, were thinking, wow, this was in the scriptures the whole time. Isaac walked up the mountain with the wood on his back. His father went with him. His father walked in faith. Isaac walked in faith. Christ was the perfect Isaac, right? So um, to keep on track, let's keep moving. Uh, what I love also just to point out here, um, uh, the here I am verses, and there, that's a, a somewhat common theme in the scriptures of the of of God's servants who answer, Isaiah answers, here I am. Um, Samuel answers, here I am, Lord. Um, Moses says, here I am. Abraham says, here I am. And here, interesting enough, uh, this is a way to read scripture. There's actually, there's one uh, that I, oh, there's one more. There's a couple in here where you, so kind of a key to interpreting these things biblically is there's good servants and then there's bad servants. So I think it's the set, yeah, in 2 Samuel 1, 7, that's actually uh, the, um, the guy that Saul saw and Jonathan die, or, or Saul, and he lied, and he made up the story that Saul was hit, and Saul called to him, and he said, here I am, and uh, it didn't work out for him, because <laughs> even his lie wasn't that good, because it got him killed. But here you see that Abraham, that Isaac is calling to his father and Abraham's answering, here I am. Where just before that, Abraham, the Lord's calling to Abraham and Abraham's saying, here I am, Lord. And now Isaac is calling to Abraham and Abraham's talking to his son, here I am. So examine those on your free time. Um, then obviously the mountain of the Lord Jehovah Jireh. Uh, the mountain is changed to the Lord will provide. And you can kind of look at Psalm 13 on your own time and kind of see how those fit. So let's go to the alternate first reading in Psalm, uh, Jeremiah 28. So uh, this is a great passage because if we just read this, uh, we would probably be a little bit duped without any context and think, man, Hananiah is a good prophet. He's preaching peace. I love peace. <laughs> But, uh, and even Jeremiah is answering in um, a little bit sarcastic. He says, amen, praise the Lord, may, <laughs> may that come to pass. But all the other prophets preached destruction. All the other prophets preached against a war. Uh, we'll know that this is a real prophet when the Lord fulfills it, right? So uh, do yourself a favor and read that in context in Jeremiah 28, because we're going to look at that with, uh, Genesis 22 and uh, our gospel reading of of what a kind of what a prophet does is the office of a prophet is mostly preaching repentance and calling people back to the way of God. It's not always um, 
you know, even when we look at the offices of prophet, prophets in the scripture, yeah, there are like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they're talking about the things to come in the future, but all of those are predicated on calling people to repentance. And so when we look at what, what uh, our Lord is saying in Matthew, whoever receives me and whoever, I'm sorry, yeah, whoever receives you receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me, right? So in context of Jeremiah, these people are in exile. They're in Babylon. They're, they're getting deported, right? And Hananiah is prophesying that they're going to be brought back in peace. And Jeremiah is like, what are you, he's kind of like, what are you doing? Uh, you know, he's not preaching something. It'd be like, uh, you know, kind of like in today's kind of context in America, we'd be like, the Lord's just going to come and like in an instant, he's just going to bring peace to racial reconciliation. And he's just going to do it magically. You don't need to repent. Uh, and you don't need to think on your own uh, you know, racist thoughts or actions or anything. Um, but the Lord's just going to fix it, right? That would be a, a kind of a prosperity, pietistic gospel. And so the people who were receiving Hananiah were actually going against the Lord. They were actually going against. Now, the Lord does intend to bring peace, right? We see that later. If you actually read what I want to kind of bring out is, this is like in Genesis 22, and uh, and, you know, in one of the ways the Lord reveals himself to us is through his sufferings. I don't think we would have gotten it any other way if we didn't see all these images throughout the Old Testament in the Hebrew scriptures and in obviously our perfect example in Christ. I don't think we would have gotten it any other way unless God came down. Well, I know for a fact because it didn't happen any other way. <laughs> uh, and God didn't do it any other way. If he didn't come down and sacrifice himself in a bloody mess and die in a terrible way, I don't think we would have gotten it. It just wouldn't hit, right? So that's how he reveals himself. Read through Psalm 22, read through even Psalm 13 and the Psalm of Lament. It's, it's sorrow. It's, it's bringing you to a deeper place with the Lord. And then, right, we're going to read in Genesis, I think, 24 next week. Or it might be, it'll be next week we read Genesis 24 of we talk about that and as kind of like a whole picture and Isaac gets his bride then Isaac doesn't get his bride until he's been sacrificed mm -hmm. until he meets the cross the bride doesn't come right so um you know God reveals himself in his suffering God reveals himself makes his covenant in in Genesis 15 in the same way right bloody animals Torn in two, sacrifices, blood covenants, circumcision, not that pretty, <laughs> right? Blood covenants. And then, right, it's through that, even through going back to Genesis, um, I think it's 12 when he sets up circumcision, is it's through the, the covenant of circumcision, you will, your people, you'll get your offspring, right? It's through Christ's sacrifice Genesis 22, or I'm sorry, Psalm 22 is a great Christocentric um, psalm, is that like the latter half of it is all, and then all the nations will come and bow down, and then people will praise your name, and then all these things, right? God's intention for us is that we will inherit the earth, is that we will 
uh, expand the kingdom of God. And if God had to go through sacrifice, so will we. We're not going to, and I think we fall into this Hananiah, um, this peace gospel that he's just going to bring it about. It's pietistic. It's, It's not preaching repentance. It's not thinking internally and introspectively about what we need to repent of and what's God calling us to repent of as individuals and in our families and households and in our church. And we're not, you know, as a church, we're not going to expand and do all the things we hope to do unless we continually have a a call repentance on ourselves as a body of Christ, lay down our lives and, and, and step forward to the cross that Christ is calling us to. So in that gospel, for the rest of the, in that gospel reading in Matthew 10, 40 and 42, whoever receives me, whoever receives you receives me. Um, and, you know, this is uh, in Matthew 10, it's also, you know, the end of John and this concept of, you know, if you give a little one of these, if you give one of these little ones a cup of cold water, um, then you, like you've given it to me, you know, in John, it's if you, uh, you know, visit those who are in prison, you know, you said you, you didn't see me, but I was there, you know, kind of thing of like God always works incarnationally, always, 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 always. Read it in Genesis. Where would we be if God never created anything? We would not be. <laughs> Three guys for a loop on that one, right? Uh, like, right, he starts creating and infiltrating the earth. Um, God is always working through, and our Lord Jesus is always working through his disciples, right? He's always working in a manifest way. Another way to say incarnationally is manifest, right? There's something in the physical world. That's what we're talking about, like incarnational uh, kind of theologies, manifest theologies, right? There's something in the physical realm, the material realm, versus a more pietistic realm of it's just ethereal and spiritual and John, or God's just going to bring it about in, in some fanciful way, right? So uh, how many people have seen the depiction of Genesis 9, 10-ish, of Noah's Ark where there's animals just like magically walking on the ark two by two, right? That doesn't, again, like that's a pietistic interpretation, I think. That doesn't, the scriptures don't didactically say it happened like that. But we do see from Genesis 1 that human beings are called to have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the beasts of the land. It's uh, my best guess and in interpretation of scripture is that Abraham, not Abraham, that Noah, uh, <laughs> through Noah, Abraham, uh, is that Noah was wrestling those beasts. He was capturing them and putting them on the ark. So, because um, it's, it's incarnational, he had to do something. He had to build an ark. He had to get these animals. So, and the Lord's, you know, always bringing this back to our remembrance of how he is working incarnationally is he's always sending someone, right? He says, it's going to be good that I leave, right? And then, but who's going to do the work? Jesus, where are you going? Right? What is, so, um, 
I guess I want to call us to like think about uh, through, uh, you know, tying. So in this alternate first reading in Psalm, that Jeremiah passage is directly related and picked, you know, with that Matthew passage is, you know, it starts with what kind of gospel are we preaching? Uh, one of our books in the library is, is Joe Thorne's Note to Self. And I read the introduction, and that was one of the books where you could, I read the introduction, I was like, I think I got it. I get the concept. I'll read the whole book later. Is preach the gospel to yourself every day. You need the gospel every minute of every day. But uh, read through Romans, right? Where we talked about last week. Um, since we're not under law, but under grace, should we keep on sinning? No, no, right? Right? So if we're, you know, reminding ourselves of the gospel every day, you can actually, you should pay very close attention to what kind of gospel you're preaching to yourself, to your family, uh, in your households, and to your friends or whatever that you're exporting. Is it a gospel that fits in with Romans that says, don't let sin reign in your bodies. You're a slave of Christ. You owe it to him. He bought you and it didn't cost him nothing. It cost him everything, right? Like I couldn't, I like to, uh, I'm really into just saying the words holy imagination and thinking and, and what that means of like, you know, as you're reading and listening to the scriptures, take a minute and slow down and ask yourself like, like what would that be like? This is, these are real people in history in real time. I don't know how long it took to walk up that mountain. But Isaac carried the wood, <laughs> and, and he probably talked with his dad. It's probably not exactly like um, uh, my mornings Monday through Wednesday with Mariah, where I pick her up to take her to babysit, and it's like a 20, 25-minute drive. And I always ask her, I give her a hug and a kiss, and I say, good morning. And I say, how are you doing? And she says, good. And I say, what's so good? And she says, nothing, because she just woke up five minutes ago or, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> Or whatever, and I say, well, the sun's shining, or I'm like, well, it's raining, and we need water, and, and then it's mostly, we're both tired, and it's, we just enjoy each other's company, and we sit silently <laughs> a lot of times for 20 minutes. But I really enjoy that. Uh, I don't know if that was the same way. Who knows? I mean, you just use your holy imagination as you read to think about, like, what would that be like for Isaac, like, burdening, carrying this burden on his shoulders, and not knowing where the ram is, and trusting in God, and talking to his father and the possibility of his father explaining. And so uh, to get a little bit more on, on track is, you know, what when uh, Romans talks about, like, what fruit are you yielding? You can directly know what gospel you believe in by what fruit you're yielding. Now, I'm extrapolating that a little bit because he says, are you, you know, those things of which you are, are once ashamed of, you know, and he's using that as an as a argument to say, like, you were bought with a price. Like, don't let sin reign in your body. Fight it. And I think one of the main idea he's getting at is, is that you're a slave to Christ. You're a slave to God now. You owe it to him. You have the power, if you're in Christ, to not submit to that yoke of slavery anymore. And you have the choice, a real choice, to meditate, to think on Christ penal substitutionary atonement and what that means for your life 
because there's always a way for ex ex escape, right? Uh, is that Romans or First Corinthians ten thirteen? So back to being incarnational, manifest. Um, I would love to. I think a good Bible study would be on on Titus nowadays of just good works and good works and good works. But uh, since we have four minutes, or we're going by the other clock, I forgot because I haven't reset that one yet. We got seven minutes. <laughs> um, is these things have to become manifest. They have to, those things that we think about and the gospel is always becoming manifest. We're always making disciples. We're always preaching some kind of gospel, whether we know it or not, right? What we do is an outcome of what we believe. And so, uh, you know, when I kind of want to just like really hit on what our Lord is saying in Matthew of there are, incarnational real people in our lives mostly in the church and the body of Christ that God's put us in is that God's called us to preach the gospel to one another to receive one another to listen to one another in accordance with the word and the spirit of I always like when it finally hit me when we talk about the means of grace of the word in this order the word the spirit I'm like yes I get that the spirit alive and your uh, and I love that personally. I love when the Holy Spirit brings about conviction or new depths of insight into scripture. I love when like I'm reading scripture and uh, um, you know, one of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 12, one, uh, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates reproof is stupid. <laughs> I just love that. And I love reading that and I love meditating on that. And I love like when the Holy Spirit like brings that more alive in me. I don't like when John, John Luke says, hey, you haven't done the dishes in two days. It's your, why are you waiting? I don't, I'm stupid. I hate rebuke. You know, I don't like that as much. But what does our Lord say? Whoever receives you receives me. When we speak according to the word in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, all right, that's how we operate as the body of Christ. That's how we love one another. We preach the gospel to one another. We're incarnate little Christs, Christians, to one another. And I think uh, I love that in our community on when we think of the positive spectrum of, you know, like love one another and live in community. And But be aware of the Lord brings us people, especially in our body, that is calling us to remove cancer, to remove uh, dead limbs to remove that which is in us that needs to and God wants to remove. So that's part of the gospel. That's part of what our Lord is saying, you know, and, and what we're reading in these, in these verses of receiving other people, receiving Jesus through other, other people, through his incarnate disciples, right? In accordance with the, the word and the spirit. So, um, you know, as we, as we kind of wrap up, look at the other um, kind of psalm that Psalm 13 is the psalm of lament. There's some kind of little bullet points for you to consider those. And, you know, hopefully, I think the kind of vision was to use these in our households to help teach and go through the scriptures. And these will be then read on Sunday in a, in a smaller format. And so talk about this in your household. Think about these things. You know, let's pray about these things tonight. Let's pray that... Uh, the Lord will 
make us more incarnationally working in the body in, in accordance with what he's doing in, in, uh, in a gospel that, that the Lord is pleased, that he's already laid down, you know, that he's already uh, wanting us, us to preach to one another daily. Um, I didn't get to talk about how Jesus preached about destruction and, and well, I got four minutes, so um, just think about this. Like, think about this in your spare time. And this is what I really loved uh, meditating on and, and calling to imagination of Jesus had like three, three and a half years of preaching. And in Matthew 24, these are just kind of like recapitulations, small blurbs of the entire message that he said. But he's talking like, you know, the, the sun and the moon is going to like go to blood and the stars are going to fall from the sky. And there's like all these things are going to like it's a it's a he's prophesying destruction on Jerusalem. The temple is getting destroyed. Not one of these stones will be left on top of one another. And he says all these things will happen in this generation. Not your generation. This one. Not this one. That one, <laughs> right? Jesus said that to the Jews, the Pharisees, and, you know, like he labored with them in and out and said this in Jerusalem, preaching like there's coming a destruction. Those who have ears, let them hear. And he told the disciples the signs in order to get out. And the Jews watched for almost 40 years in Jerusalem, those who rejected Christ, who crucified him, who some of them maybe even heard Peter's sermon and, and saw others repenting, and they saw the church building, and they saw Jerusalem being overrun with Christians and expanding, and they're persecuting them, and they're running after them. And they heard Jesus say, all these things will come on this generation. And they stayed in Jerusalem. They loved their sin. They loved crucifying the Lord. And destruction came. Right? In 70 AD, we know historically that the temple was destroyed, and this is, if you read Josephus, some of the just horrendous things. Horrendous things happened in Jerusalem. Um, you know, within the, I think it's a three year period of the Jewish wars, of, and, you know, even building up to that is just horrendous. But, but he said, Whoever receives you receives me. And he sent his prophets, he sent his apostles, he sent his disciples out, and they continue to persecute him. And we should not expect anything different. So let us pray, and then we'll worship. Uh, Lord, we pray, we pray, Lord, that you would turn our hearts towards you, that we would seek repentance continually, daily, moment by moment, repentance and turning to you. We pray for the faith that Abraham and Isaac had. We pray that you would fill us, that we would not waver concerning your promises. And we pray that you would be glorified in our worship here tonight. Amen.